Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Recording here. I can turn you down. I'll have to remember to do that when I come back in. All right, let's do this. I think I'm ready. I can. I think I can do this. I think I can. I think I think I think I can. All right. Streaming. Am I still on? Porto Luzzi in St. Catharines. It's the Jim Fannin Show. A presentation of Cellar Dwellers Anonymous. And now, your host, Jim Fannin. <laughs> oh, that was fun. This is like one of my old radio opens. Welcome back. I am your pimp in the box, the king of talk show scrubs. Scrubs are the guys that fill in. For the regular professionals, I talk to politicians, media types, rock stars, and heathens. Thursday night, I'm on live at 7 p.m. on Twitter at Team Niagara on Facebook as Jim Fannin, and on Twitch and D Live as the Jim Fannin Show. Oh, don't forget, I'm on the YouTube. Also broadcasting as True Tube T R E W. Welcome aboard. Dennis Constantini is the owner of Evolution Spa. Just like the title says, he skipped town. He had enough of Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau's bull crap. Unmute yourself, King. <laughs> I got queens in my life. I might as well make you a king because I am not worthy. I am. I don't know if I'm the jack or what, but I'm just happy to be in the company of good people to kind of whatever, man, it's it's. It's good to be around people that think the same. I never knew yeah. that that was a thing. But after being locked down for a year, and I don't talk to people that disagree with me all that much because they don't want to take, I don't know, they don't want to take the time or be associated with me. But, you know, with the, just to skip ahead, because I want to get back to the beginning about who you are and, and what happened and, and where you're at now. But at the original protest that you and Alicia Herter from Chrome Artistic Barbering organized i guess for lack of a better word i 
was asked to MC just to introduce Alicia. I didn't know you then. My back was killing me. I was kind of like, but just walking through that crowd was, I don't know. I didn't know that I missed crowds and that I could yeah. feel so connected being with people that weren't yeah. wearing masks. I don't believe that masks do anything. There's no scientific evidence to support the use of masks. And then, you know, make this all about me. I didn't, I wasn't prepared to get control of the crowd. I figured there'd be 30, 40 people there. When there's seven, 800 yeah, people there, yeah. like, and the mic wasn't working. I know you were holding it. And I kind of, I was like the first guy and everyone's yeah. like, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. I'm like, I'm bailing. Here's Colin, you know, <laughs> Colin McDonald from Hugs Over Mass. He'll take over. And then, cause he's really good at that. He's, I'm not a raw, raw speaker. Like I'm funny. Yeah. I can debate politics and stuff like that, but I wasn't prepared for that. But I came home from that feeling so connected and I'm like, man, am I really craving the human connection that much? Like, I don't know. I must have given out 20 hugs and a bunch of handshakes and just so connected. So I'm grateful for you. And that's, uh, you know, I met Alicia for the first time that day. She's become a force in my life. And then, some, you know, I refer to them as queens. There's powerful women in this movement, mostly women. And men are starting to yeah. come around where they are like, this is wrong. My kids, my kids, because the women have that very natural instinct to protect the children. The men are at work handing out cigars the day after their kids are born. They're not, they're not, they don't have that responsibility or that those fears or that, that mechanism. Yeah. We protect our family, but not like the mother, you know what I mean? So I'm really happy to see, cause I don't go to protests. I'm really happy to see that the men are stepping up at these because some of my, you know, these good women in my life that have spoken to regional council like Rebecca Hahn and Daniel Romanak um, and, and Alicia yeah. Herter. Alicia's muted now. Like, I guess you are too. Can you it's imagine really living your life? Like, she's got other reasons that she needs to be quiet right now, but do you imagine yeah. the psychology of, and that's what I was afraid of when they, when they came for me, that I would be under some conditions like they were. Apparently, I'm getting summonses, so it's not, a criminal with con with like I would I would think oh uh Colin can't be on a microphone on a on a megaphone well Fannin can't yeah. broadcast could you imagine right. like this yeah. is yeah you don't have a day in this court so this is what it's getting to so anyways I mean, Dennis Costantini is my guest I really appreciate your time I know it's late there you're probably making time away from the kids to do this so thank you uh, you're in the background, so hopefully they won't, uh, awesome. they won't cause too much trouble. It's all about the kids. Um, Just tell us yeah. a little bit about you, your wife Lisa, who's standing beside you, which is the producer today, technical uh, support person, yeah. but technically technical the producer. Director. Yeah, exactly. She'll be kind of popping in and out, making yeah. sure the kids aren't uh, interrupted. Cool. And we, if we, if we ever do yeah, this again. I, I just want to thank you for, you know, we follow you on Facebook and uh I don't know where you find most of the stuff that you find, but it's all, it's so spot on and it speaks volumes. And, uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing on your end to try and wake people up because it's so important. Um, we need more people out there just kind of exposing the other side that mainstream media isn't putting out there. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate that. You, Thank you. I appreciate that. And you're welcome. I, I sometimes wonder why I do this. Um, 
you know, it's certainly not from the money or the fame or whatever. It's like running in elections. I never do it for other any other reason that I think I can get through to people and, and create a possibility that didn't, that didn't exist for them then. But uh, so I appreciate that. I just left the beach. I did a podcast from down there. And as I was leaving, the security guards were kind of talking to a vehicle coming in and they had her right in the middle of the road. So I was waiting and then they wheeled me through. And as I went by, stopped, and I'm like, see you later, brother, because I give them a little hard time when they, because they asked me for ID when I came in, but they're just giving me a two-week parking pass for, for uh, no, non-Niagara residents can go to the beach now in St. Catharines, not like last year. Right. Anyways, this girl says to me, and I, as soon as I thought, as soon as she said, are you Jim Finn? I'm like, oh, it's Michelle Brown. She's going to give me tickets. <laughs> Anyways, she was only too happy to uh, have someone to listen to that apparently tells the truth. She was very supportive on the way out and told me how great she thought I was. So I appreciate the love. But uh, anyways, uh, back to who you are, what you're all about. You're a St. Catharines native. Uh, I take it. North End kid like me. Yep. Yep. St. Alfred's School. Holy Cross High School. And how old are you? Uh, 47. Okay. So you're five years Oh, four years younger than me because I did uh, seven and eight at St. Alfred as well through, oh, yeah. through, uh, so you're familiar with the stomping grounds. Canadian martyrs. Yeah. I was confirmed yeah. at St. Yeah. Alfred's like, you know, that was my parish back in the day. Is that what yeah. you call it? No. I was an altar boy there back in the day, Sorry you know, wore that. the robe and carried the chalice <laughs> and all that other stuff. You know. All right. So let's start at the beginning. We won't have to do this again if we ever speak again because I, I got a feeling I'll pick you up as this moves on because you've got more legal battles that you're going through. But let's start at the beginning. Set us up about who you are as a as a man and how you got there, if you don't mind. Well, uh, I have been blessed with uh, great parents. And my father was uh, the type of guy who spoke his mind. Um I used to describe him as uh, the little brother you never wanted, you know? He, he, if he liked you, all he did was uh, break your balls, for lack of a better way of expressing <laughs> it. And if he didn't like you, he just had nothing to do with you. Wow. And uh, he spoke his mind. If he felt something was right, he was on board with it. But if he didn't like something, he stood his ground, and he didn't care if you liked him or not. It was about this is what's right, and this is how it is. So I think um, I didn't quite understand that as I was younger, mm-hmm. um, but then I had kids and um, something changed. Uh, my father passed away last year and um, I don't know, something just kind of clicked in me. And uh, with, with all the stuff that started happening uh, with the lockdowns and um, realizing the negative effects that these lockdowns were having on people i had to i had to take a stand and um i was blessed that my wife was there to stand beside me through all this uh because if she wasn't on board obviously that i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing or doing what i was doing um you know just i I mean you know the story the the increase alcohol abuse, the increase uh, drug abuse, um, the increase in suicides, uh, adolescents uh, suicide spiking, um, mental health issues. You can't donate clothing. You can't donate food. You can't. 
I, I mean, these, these lockdown restrictions are, are crazy. You can buy groceries, but you can't buy a birthday card or you can't buy glue or you can't, um, it just, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. And so my, my issue was, you know, I had a funny feeling after the very first lockdown when they were calling for that first initial two weeks, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why are we closing down businesses when there's a virus on its way? It's a virus. It's not going to be stopped by closing down businesses. It's a virus. It's going to run its course. People are going to get sick. We're going to either get better or we're not. Um, and my wife actually, uh, and I had a little bit of a, an argument about that at the beginning and you know, she was a little more leery and, and a little more uh, scared than I was at the beginning. And, and um, so I said to her, I said, I, I don't want to shut down. And she's like, we have to. She goes, if we don't, people will think that we're, you know, that we're evil, that we don't care. And I said, well, at, at this time, I really don't because it doesn't make sense. And uh, I said, I'm going to close because you want me to. Um, but mark my words, it'll be two weeks and then it'll be another two weeks and another two weeks. And next thing you know, six months is going to go by and we're still going to be shut down. Once we got to around month two, uh, that's when she kind of got on board and we started really looking into things. And, um, you know, we still uh, stayed closed, obviously. Um, and when we did reopen, we did our best to stay within the protocol of everything that was expected of us. Um, we did our best. Then you start hearing about, okay, there's a second lockdown coming. And all of a sudden you find out politicians are going on holiday and you find out that the head of our own NHS goes away on holiday and you start realizing that, Hey, mm, something's not right here. Uh, how serious could this possibly be if all these people who are in the know um, are going away on holiday? They're taking off and traveling and doing all these things that we would normally do in our normal lives, yet everybody else is restricted. So again, you know, talking to my wife, it was like, honey, I want to reopen. And um, she was kind of leery at first. Um, but then, you know, when we found out about the head of uh, NHS going away on holiday, I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I, I am reopening my business. Um, I can't take this anymore. This is, this is just ridiculous. And she finally gave me the okay. And uh, that's when I sent out an email, a mass email to all my clients um, and put a post up on Facebook. And uh, I don't know if you know, but Walter Sensick was actually a client of mine for a very long time. So uh, I didn't hide anything. When I sent out the Massey email to all my clients, I made sure that Walter got a copy of that as well because uh, I was so dead set against what was going on. Um, I put my post out on Facebook. That got shared by multiple people. And it just took off like wildfire. I wasn't expecting it. And my original intention was I'm going to open. I'm going to run my salon as I normally do. And I'm going to take the tickets and I'm just going to tape them to the wall. And, you know, once I'm done with all these tickets, I'll turn them into a quilt or something. Um, but it was the uh, actual Facebook post that got shared that came across Alicia Herder's screen 
And then she ended up reaching out to me to let me know what she was doing with the whole evolving her business into a, a production company. Right. And I thought, wow, that's genius. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we chatted and um, I was on board and that was it. So together her uh, with Chrome Artistic Barbershop and Evolution uh, Salon and Spa uh, decided to jointly open our businesses and uh, run them as production companies. Um, we were we were doing it for a while, and at one point we actually had a conversation where, you know, Alicia's like, "Hey, maybe they're not going to come at us," but uh, I think it was the very next day that uh, they came in like gangbusters and hit both of us up. Um, I had four people come into my place. Uh, Alicia had the same four people come into her place to issue tickets and, uh, and summons. And uh, it was, you know, I was taken by surprise. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, But the thing is, is uh, I'm pretty sure the standard already had their article written and they had to ticket me because uh, I was alone in my building. There was no reason for them to give me tickets. There was absolutely zero reason for me to be issued tickets because number one, at the time, salons could be open to do curbside. Right. So I could have been selling products. Number two, I could have been in there just doing inventory or cleaning my place out. And number three, if I was operating as a production studio, legally I'd be within my rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a witch hunt and they were trying to, uh, use us to set an example, uh, to scare all the other businesses into compliance to make sure that nobody, you know, mm-hmm. took a stand the way that we did. Yeah. Dennis, have you ever been, tell me about your community connection and anything that you've ever done to be active. You're an activist now, whether you like it or not. Uh, you've been <laughs> standing strong as a good masculine figure in our community. Thank you for that. Have you ever been politically or have you ever been an activist? Have you ever protested anything, marched, carried a sign, no. done anything? No, I mean, I mean, uh, in growing up, um, I was never really huge into politics. Uh, I did what I could to support the community. I mean, I've been in the hair business for 25 years uh fundraising um grapes of wrath when that started up uh with 13th street winery we got involved with that to try and help raise some funds for charitable events um i fought in the pearl gloves um the first one that they had oh dude dude hang on didn't you break bolt's nose in the first (laughs) shot did you fight bolt yeah, I, I don't remember yeah. that, but somebody just reminded me. I'm not sure if I was at that. That that was back in the. Well, I think that was before Laura Yip fought because we were actually friends back then. So I'm not yeah. sure I was at the Pearl Gloves where you fought, but somebody reminded me the other day you smashed Ted Bolt and sm- flattened his nose in the first shot. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It I like was, Ted Bolt. Nothing against Ted Bolt. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We became pretty close after that. Uh, you know, Sorry. he was he's Had a really good guy. Ted's, Ted's a good dude. I felt really bad about it because here we are both trying to, you know, raise funds for the community. No, and, no. You put two yeah. men in the ring, there's one thing that is on, well, there should be only one thing on both men's mind. Yeah. Knocking uh, the other one to the ground with a broken nose. The, <laughs> honestly, honestly, in the first round, 
<laughs> in the first round, I thought he was gonna take my head off. Like he came at me, gangbusters. I was, I was like, whoa! I wasn't expecting it at all. And uh, when I was just dating them, I was about to leave. I was like. Dennis is getting beat up. Yeah. I'm out of here. This is embarrassing. She told me at the beginning, she's like, um, if you lose, don't expect said, me to be at the table. I didn't get dressed up to be with you. I didn't get dressed up to be with you. I had a lot of pressure on me, too. Wow. wow. That's a good story, man. I'm glad you hit on that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I've done, I've always, um, even back when, uh, Oh, I'm blanking out the mustache, Movember. Oh. Back when that started, I was one of the first people Don't in the area do to start again. doing that. Trying to <laughs> raise awareness. You know, it's one of those things that I figured I know a lot of people in the community. Yeah. If I can turn people on to anything to help build stuff within our community, mm. to help raise awareness in our community, then it's my moral obligation to do that because of the the career that I'm in. I have contact with a lot of people. I'm able to spread the word. I'm able to get the word out to people to make people aware of things. Uh, so I never took that lightly. It was something that I felt was, was important as, as a, as a hairdresser to, uh, to do that, you know? So I, you know, I, I got involved as much as I could, but never really, never really politically, never, never to the extent that things happen with this lockdown nonsense. Mm -hmm. So then not politically active not supportive of one candidate really? over another not speaking out about have you ever been political on your post before because now you obviously are have you ever found no. your, can i ask you what your leaning was as far as what you used to vote historically uh, i was i when i was younger i was a liberal mm -hmm, like uh, me. But then as i as i matured and uh, started realizing that uh you know, yes, it's it's good to take care of others, but the money has to come from somewhere. Uh, I started leaning more towards conservative, um, and yeah, that would be the direction that I would lean I these was, days. I was liberal, and I voted for Justin Trudeau the first time. Right. Sure. Now I'm complete conservative. Mm -hmm. After like this past year and a half, mm -hmm. Canada did that. I was like, this is. It, it happened to me over five years, and I don't know if you know my history, but quickly I'm six or seven time Green Party candidate before the left went crazy, before, you know, this my body, my choice up into nine months. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. an extremist. I just don't, I, I would like to outlaw the late term stuff. They call me radical. Yeah. And on gun laws. And then, you know, I think we started seeing division being sowed, sown very covertly by Obama who really gently and with a lot of charm and charisma race baited and I loved Obama. I would have voted for yeah. Obama. Um, yeah. I just loved his, who he was as a dude on the court. I heard stories about him just elbowing celebrities and saying, you know, just being a dirty uh, player and being yeah. okay with it. And I thought, Oh, yeah. that's so cool to be like that. But covertly he was really undermining i think race relations i didn't see it until years after he was out of the white house and then trump yeah. of course divided everyone so i think that's where the division started to be sown covertly under obama a lot yeah. of race baiting undertones um this you know diversity is king type of thing uh, and then trump made it okay to be hard on immigration made it okay to be well not so much conservative because he was an anti-establishment guy who was just like yeah. giving the finger to everyone and i like there's never been a more anti-establishment president than trump and then he was funny and then yeah. it got to be okay 
to express yourself the way that Trump was doing it. So a lot of people came out of the woodwork and go, yeah, yeah, shut the borders down. Yeah, build the wall. And then the left is just insane. So I, it took me five years to get there. Trump was part of it. But then he sowed division as well just by being Trump. I mean, I think he made – he was the most peaceful president ever. Uh, like, yeah. look, what's, look, look what's going on in the Middle East now. Uh, I think he got a lot of things done. I think he left a lot on the table too, and he certainly certainly had a lot of things that you could criticize about him, but he didn't care. And I started well, to be a follower. So then the, the now I'm moderately in the middle or right-leaning because of gun laws. I don't think that more gun laws yeah. are going to make safer communities. I don't think that they're, I'm a free speech absolutist. The left doesn't bl- agree with that anymore. So the left left me, yeah. but I t- it took me yeah. five years to get to where you guys got in the last couple maybe. Well, yeah. you've always been, yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. true that when you're when you're young and you don't know how things work, you think, oh, no, we'll just give everyone a guaranteed annual income, take yeah. care of people. And I still exactly. believe in those socialist ideas. Like if you have first class, first class health care, first class health care, yeah. including mental health, which we are really lacking in this community. I want to get into that a little oh, bit my. with you. Um, they, if you treat people right the first time when you see them, you don't see them again as often. And if you if they keep cycling back through the jails and the systems and the hospitals and stuff like this, it costs you 10 times as much as it would have cost you to treat them well the first time. So I still exactly. believe that. I still have socialist yeah. leanings. There's enough money to take care of everyone. But this now we got unemployment problems, employment problems like yeah. We can't find anyone to work because they're all getting work. paid to stay home. In the states, the same exactly. thing. They can't find, they can't find servers. You know, so yeah. I appreciate yeah. you know see, what see it takes to travel. Of people begging for money, standing in front of signs saying "Help Wanted," you know, uh, in the states. But um, you know, on that note, with uh, you know taking care of people, and you know, you're you're right on the money. It's like if you take care of people properly at the beginning then you're not going to have that cycle through. And, uh, you know, we have a daughter, uh, she's going to be five in August and she's autistic. And, uh, when we learned about her becoming autistic or learned about her being autistic was when Ford cut all the funding to autism. And, uh, you know, it was then that that really opened up my eyes. And I was, uh, at one point trying to set up a, a fundraiser for, uh, the autistic community. Um, because my thoughts are if you take care of these children when they're young and make sure that they get the therapy that they need, yep. they can one day become a part of the community and actually uh, input into the community instead of being a drain on them. There's uh, so much importance kids. given to the early diagnosis. The, 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 what am I saying? The early diagnosis and immediate treatment of mental illnesses. Yes. And I, I talked to a girl the other day that's got her sister's locked up in, a, in an old age home, and you know she went months without a shower. And they put, you know, if she went to yeah. get her cancer test, then they'd have to quarantine her in isolation for 14 days, and it's just a horrible, horrible story. You know what I mean? But uh, anyways, I forgot my point. Go ahead. <laughs> it's pretty good when I do that. <laughs> it'll come back to me. Trust me, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah. What, what were we talking about? Because now I'm looking at your blank face. Uh, and saying the government, right, uh, had scrapped the uh, funding 
autism when our daughter. Right. Was, yeah. My point was, this, this girl's, uh, she, her sister was schizophrenic, but she didn't start showing signs until later, like 20 years old or whatever. Yeah. And then she went undiagnosed through the medical system for two decades. Wow. And once you go that long, there's no getting them back with medication or therapy or whatever. They're to a certain extent gone. Like she's better now. Uh, once right. they got her on the right meds, but there was a long period of time there in the early stages. So, and this people don't quite understand how important mental health is and how it lacks, and especially specifically in the Niagara region. Like I have a story. Well, if you'd like, if you'd like to know, uh, Scarlett's still on the wait list to be diagnosed at the Niagara Children's Center. She's still on the wait list for free services for speech therapy and OT, even though they said if a child doesn't have speech therapy and a diagnosis before the age of five the the percent wow. goes down significantly for their verbal ability and their cognitive ability and all those other things and how long's now, that been uh, she's uh she's gonna be five it, she was just a uh, two and a half when she was put on the list wow. so she's still on the list to be diagnosed and for services so of course when I t first put her on the list and they told me I go well, what's the wait at that time they said oh about a year it, first of all, it wasn't a year because then COVID happened and now whatever, whatever. We, I had her diagnosed and started services within 10 days. She was fully diagnosed by a psychologist, um, started full speech therapy, OT, ABA, everything, all private. All private was done within 10 days. She's been doing uh, full services for the last two years. So and became when you mean verbal. private, what do you mean specifically? We paid out of pocket. It, it came out of our pocket. Just like, for the diagnosis? Yes, I found, yeah. uh, yes, I found uh, doc, it was Dr. Becky Ward who does for the Phoenix Center. She used to work for, I think, the Bethesda or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, uh, for autism. So then she went private and uh, okay. it, it's on Welland Avenue. So I had found her um, mm -hmm. who is... Um, Thank God. does the diagnosis and the assessments. So we paid, I think it was like $1,200 or $1,400, wow. had her diagnosed, um, and then services there just even for a little, it's like a mortgage payment, and then yeah. speech therapy, it's like yeah, 140 yeah. for the hour, hmm. OT was like 150 and she was doing it twice a week. We, we, were, lucky in that, <laughs> we were lucky in that we had some, some support from family. Yeah. Um, my parents uh, chipped in quite a bit. Um, Lisa's mother helped out a little bit as well. Um, but, you know, here we are. Uh, we have our daughter. We find out she's yeah. autistic. We just had our son. Uh, I had just opened up my business. Yeah. Uh, and then we had this um, added burden of these expenses, which obviously we yeah. would bend over backwards to do for our child. But um, this is the public system, I'm saying. So all the children in St. Catherine yeah. that are still on that list, but that don't have the money and don't have the connections to pay for privately are still on that list. Waiting. And they're child. And, and uh, Scarlett was becoming uh, uh, aggressive because when they don't have language, mm -hmm. uh, they start, you know, acting out like they're frustrated because they don't have the, the, the language. So she was smashing her head. She was becoming very, um, yeah, and frustrated. So now, you know, as soon as she started speech, you could see it alleviate. She had words. All of that mm -hmm. went away. Wow. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I said, I, how many times have I said that? I said, the children who don't yeah. are on that list that don't can't get a diagnosis. They're still sitting there two years later. And their parents are having to try and find a way to. With 
treat them free public health care i was like it's not free it's not it's ridiculous it's not free right yeah it's not (laughs) wow the the impact of you having the resources or being able to put them together i know is not lost on you at least i can see you know the passion and i can hear it in your voice you know what i mean it's like don't mess with my babies and if there's a will there's a way and i will find a way for the other children that would frustrate me that's my other yeah so you know it was something that when we started when we realized how many kids out there weren't able to get the help they needed they weren't even getting diagnosed that's when i was uh trying to come up with a plan to try and raise some funds to try and expedite things for some of these kids because uh you know time lost is is uh detrimental to their development you know it's very important that these kids get as much therapy as they can before the age of five um because if they don't, it's it's just, it's lost. And we actually lost a lot of time with our daughter because of the uh, first lockdown. Um, all of her therapies were locked down, so she wasn't able to get it. And uh, we watched her sadly regress from all the progress that she was making. And uh, yeah, so that was another part of these lockdowns that was really, um, mm-hmm. really killing me. It was really just, just gnawing at me. So back to uh, the story. They come in, they give you some tickets, and then where does that leave from there? Uh, tell us about some of the media exposure and some of the, you know, the attacks on your character. Because I know there's certain politicians. I mean, we've we've made no big secret about who they are. Exposed them for their hypocrisy, but that you know yeah. have aligned us. I guess for lack, of, all I did was MC an event, dude. I like I do. That's kind of yeah. my thing. And, you know, being alt-right adjacent, being uh, white supremacist and all the things that they said, you know, like, and tell us a little it, bit about I, the impact of the uh, media attention that you, uh, what, the, I guess, the, the asked for. Me, <laughs> the thing that kills me is at one time, Carrie Porter was a client of mine. Wow. So she knows me on a personal level. Walter Senzik, I've been doing his hair since before he became mayor. He knows me as a person. Uh, I'm a hairdresser. My industry is full of homosexual males. How on God's green earth could I be labeled a homophobe? I just don't understand. It, it's the accusations, the slander. Uh, it, well, it started off with the initial uh, ticketing uh, that Alicia and, and I received. Um, the article in the standard saying that we were fined up to $500,000 and that we were locked down. We weren't, we were still open. Uh, we chose to shut for a couple of days to regroup. Um, I didn't get a $500,000 fine. So instantly it was like, okay, it's done, you know? Um, so I got some signs made up, uh, you know, uh, sort of saying things like, uh, socialism is not investigative journalism shame on you grant uh, and put them out in front of my building um and this you know the signage just kind of went on from there because i thought you know what it's on now i mean they're attacking me and i don't see this going away yeah. and i'm not gonna stop 
because they're trying to scare me. It's mm-hmm. just not happening. Right. So I had uh, repeated run-ins with um, the region, uh, public health. Um, I, I think I'm up to six, six tickets and five summons to appear in court. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, you know, an, an every other day kind of thing. They come by, is anybody here? We're here to do an investigation. Uh, sorry, we're here to do a, an inspection because that's how they would get into your building. We're here mm-hmm. to do an inspection. Uh, and I'm like, why are you inspecting my building every other day? Well, someone's calling on you. Well, I don't give a rat's ass if someone's calling on me. Uh, I'm operating as a production studio. I left my blinds open. People could see in. I had my cameras set up. I had the mics going. There's no reason why I cannot be here. And they would ticket me, and I'm like, why am I getting a ticket? And they're saying, you're going against the act. And I'm like, but I'm not. I'm operating as a production studio. Where's the problem? Hey, just to interrupt, did you ever at one point when you were doing this podcast kind of thing, because I know Alicia, Alicia was saying, dude, People watch live cams all over the place. They watch the most ridiculous things ever. What makes you think they don't want to watch somebody coming into my salon and getting their hair done? That it actually might be something that people wanted to see? <laughs> Did you ever get yeah. that feeling that, hey, I could make some well, money doing this, broadcasting well, my that, business? That's the thing. Originally, it was kind of like I just had a little cell phone on a on a tripod. And you know, I was kind of like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And then um, I had talked to a few people and... I'm like, you know what? I should really put something up. So uh, I met this guy who was a, a an editor, and he kind of came in and he looked at how I was doing things. And then we, he's like, you know what? If you invest in a camera and we get you a tripod and and we set up a mic here and and then we shoot from this angle and you'll have the lighting like this. And he kind of really got into it. He's like, you know what? You really might have something here. This could fit a nice little niche. And and this particular guy that I was dealing with has his own. Um, podcast series, uh, which that's how he makes his living. And so when he kind of was like on board, he was like, I started thinking, Hey, this could really potentially become something. Hmm. Right. But the problem was, um, technically, uh, it wasn't legal for me to operate that way. And, uh, so then it became an issue in trying to get actors or, you know, interviewees to come in because they were scared of getting ticketed. Oh, right. um, so it was like, now here I am trying to move into a new stream of revenue, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm being constantly, uh, you know, attacked for. And they're also inhibiting my ability to generate revenue doing that because they're also intimidating anybody that would want to come in and say, be interviewed by me. Um, it was, yeah, it was brutal. It was really brutal. And uh, the stress levels, knowing every day, I don't know who's coming to my door. Um, are people going to come in? Um, what are people saying about me now? Uh, I'm at the point where here I am uh, in in a community that I was born and raised in, and uh, I'm being labeled as homophobic, transphobic, a white supremacist um a, a detriment a threat to society i'm spreading disease i'm killing people 
I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is absolute insanity. Just to be clear. I just want to put you, food on my table. Did you have COVID? You know, I want to sit at home and twiddle my thumbs waiting for the government to bankrupt me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Did and you ever contract the virus? Sorry? Did you ever contract the virus? I think I got it before the lockdowns. Yeah. In uh, the December before we locked down, I was sick for six weeks. And uh, there were a couple of times when I thought, holy crap, I'm not going to be able to shake this thing. But after the six weeks, I was right as rain, back to normal. So, I, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm sure it had to, be, had to have been in Niagara well before they did these lockdowns. I mean, with international travel being the way that it is, yeah. come on. By the time we hear about it, I'm sure it was in Niagara well before. Tell me about how this has changed you. Maybe uh, get into the impact in your family a little bit. And we talked about who you were before, uh, how you've come, you know, like many of us do from left to right as we age and hopefully get wiser. But tell us about, like, who are you now as a result of all this stuff that you weren't before? Well, now I'm in Belarus. <laughs> I'm not in St. Catharines anymore. I've left Canada. Um, we've... Uh, lost contact with a lot of our friends. Uh, We've lost contact with a lot of our family Um, in taking this stand and staying true to what we believe. uh, We've, we've isolated ourselves from the people that we grew up with and, and our own family members. Um, Now we've obviously met a lot more like-minded individuals, which is great uh, to be in line with other people who think and feel the same way as you. Um, but it also uh, hurts to know that people that you've known your entire life aren't willing to say, hey, you know what? I kind of agree with Dennis and I'm going to stand up beside him uh, and take a stand for what's right uh, instead of knowing that it's what's happening is wrong. But, you know, I, you know, I, publicly it, not yeah, I can't it. publicly, I can't say anything because it'll affect my job. It'll affect my relationships with other people. You know, I got to be careful, you know. Mm -hmm. So people were quietly supporting, right? Message, but publicly would never like or show up up. or support or share or be like, speak out about it. I get a lot of that as well. And I'm okay with that because they know and love me and support me privately. And that's cool. I don't need them to be publicly liking me because I am a little toxic from the standpoint that I think you know I say what I think and I I tried to have facts behind it and uh, you know truth is truth and there's no spin in it and uh, but and this goes back to our earlier conversation about the division and where it started this you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy but this is divided (laughs) deeply family husbands and wives you know, first yeah, we had no. Obama, then we had Trump, yeah. division, division, division. Then we had COVID. Yeah. Now inside COVID, we've got the shot. We've got masks. We've got lockdowns. All different people on all different sides, all different issues. I hear that one lockdown proponent has been going, why can't you have the Leafs fill that stadium? All of a sudden, oh, now because it's your Leafs, you want to open the stadiums. Yeah, of course. Are you kidding course. me? And the problem and, and, division, and the thing is, the if way. you look at states like florida and texas and everything's wide open and people are living their days as normal yet canadians are still terrified to shake hands with one another or even going that step further that they're supporting everybody's talking about the 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 leafs and whatnot and like yeah yeah all these people that have been silent or are pro lockdown or whatever 
haven't spoke up or said you know shit about uh, uh, the kids that have not been playing sports mm-hmm. at all, not right. in school and not playing sports. Right. And what's doing it to the children? And they're supporting as soon as the NHL starts playing. They're like, yay! And they've been practicing and playing and eating together and whatnot. But our exactly. eight-year-olds have not been playing. Uh, teenagers have not been playing sports, and you know what? How that affects their mental Ill, the mental health problem that's going on in Ontario. And now the mainstream the- media is just kind of waking up to it. Finally, Grant LaFleche tweeted something out yesterday about, oh, the pandemic is taking a, a mental toll on our youth. Uh, you think, wow. dude, it's been 16 months. Did you not get the memo now? What an epiphany. What an epiphany. What do you think? Give me your thoughts, uh, without libeling yourself as far as the treatment of the local media and how they've, uh, pretty much set you up. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's shameful. It's shameful. It's also a breach. I think it, it, they're, they're, literally committing uh i don't even know not fraud but they're they're doing illegal things publicly and being applauded for it and they're also political people in our community they're supposed to be leaders with these jobs paid by our tax dollars and they're smearing us and saying and doing illegal things and there's no repercussions there's no slap back clap back on them at all do you have uh do you have a suit against do you have a defamation or anything going against the people that have defamed you or libeled you because when you talk about crimes like live like i'm a freedom of speech absolutist i feel like you can yell fire in a crowded theater if you want there's repercussions if you do and there's no fire but you know i don't have i don't play that game i'm like you can say whatever you want i don't care who you are but you know that's You know, true, true, true journalism is delivering the facts mm-hmm. of an event and allowing the individual to make up their own mind on how they view the right. event. What Grant LaFleche does is not journalism. It's sensationalism. And he has done his best to try and paint this picture of me mm. in the region uh and you know he's using social media so basically it's globally um to paint me as a monster uh to paint alicia herder as a monster when all we're doing is standing up for those ignorant people like we're standing up for grant lafleche's rights we're standing up for everybody's right Mm -hmm. and he's too friggin' ignorant to see it and he's trying to sell and they all papers, and right? They all each other. They and there's that network yeah. in Niagara of these socialists. They, share that and they, share it and they, they try and that. shame everybody. They try and bully people. It's absolutely sickening right. to see our council and our mayor behave the way that they've been behaving. It's all for, you know, the vote, basically. You know, oh, we're what's the bandwagon thing we're going to jump on now? Let's jump on that one and make everybody else feel stupid if they don't join what we think. When you talk uh, you're not about to have your own opinion anymore, when you're speaking about Grant LaFleche, I'm looking at Lisa and I feel fear. Yeah, yeah, I feel fear too. Do you know how many good, solid women in my life would love to meet Grant LaFleche in a ring or an alley? And just yeah. uh, get out some frustrations, if you know what I mean. Now I see your uh, Lisa's face is completely transformed. 
Yeah, that, that for me, that would have been uh, a more enjoyable uh, curl gloves for me than uh, than fighting Ted, honestly. Uh, and if, if more things might have been broken than just a nose. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's shameful. Honestly, it's shameful. The stuff that's coming out of Niagara from our MPs and MPPs and uh, mayor, city council, it's shocking. It's I said, have we been living amongst us and just we're like asleep this whole time? Everything is shining light on it now. So I feel grateful about that. You know, um, my, my we're wife, not participating in that. My wife's my wife's uh, father uh, passed away uh, during the first lockdown with uh, lung cancer. And during that time was the Black Lives Matter march, which Walter Senzik felt it was important to walk in. Um, meanwhile, my wife is struggling to try and take care of her father, isn't allowed to go into the hospital with him, isn't allowed to speak on his behalf. He's dying of lung cancer. They're putting a mask over his face. Uh, the things that they were doing, the things that we were seeing, absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And then here we are uh, months. And, I, and also I had the oncologist and the radiologist the entire time. So that was July, August, September, um, from his diagnosis till his death, dealing with the hospital. And I wouldn't put him in there. I took care of him. He died in my home with me. And uh, because there's no way I would leave him wow. in that hospital. Good for you. Uh, they they uh, told me there's not one COVID patient that entire summer. They both, the oncologist, the internal medicine, uh, internal medicine doctor as well, and uh, the radiologist, several times I told me that. They said, oh, don't worry, there's no COVID patient. There hasn't been a COVID patient in here. There's no COVID patient. Not the whole summer, right? Um, meanwhile, I was watching, I had to get my father deemed incompetent, like I was his guardian, um, so that, because I was fighting the nurses, even being allowed to be his advocate in there. So imagine you're dying, you're on medication, he's on morphine, he's on all kinds of um you know medication he's out he's in pain he's spitting blood he uh and he can't advocate for himself and they were literally the times that he was left alone in that hospital calling me texting me like saying come pick me up because he didn't get a drop of water all night or medication pain medication from that hospital and then i would come out of that hospital after seeing the disgusting disgusting treatment of other patients. These nurses walk around an empty hospital with security guards acting like they're hot shit. You gotta walk, you gotta kiss their ass to get anything right now. And they're walking around like, oh, we're frontline heroes. No, you're not, you're a fat bitch, okay? You're a lazy, fat, useless bitch. They're liars. And then I'd come out of that hospital and I'd see everybody standing with signs, these signs, oh, frontline heroes. And they're all, they come out like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah bullshit bullshit i saw behind the curtain bullshit it was disgusting i saw them throw out an old lady's uh she must have been her 80s cancer patient with the, in a wheelchair doesn't speak english she's italian her daughter maybe in her 40s or 50s they get it you have to leave no you're not even allowed a care you're not even allowed and she says what do you mean i'm not leaving she doesn't speak english i'm taking it's my mother She's like, you can walk out or the security will take you out in front of all, all the people in Emerge. So the security comes over, you got the nurse manager and she's like, what is going on? What is going on, right? 
This is the stuff that was going on at our hospitals, our frontline workers. It was, there's unspeakable, it's unspeakable. Watching my father die, he was dying like any minute. They said like stage four, he came in there spitting blood because he didn't get a screening because everything was locked down. So by the time he walked in there, they gave him 48 hours to live. So he's dying fast, fast, spitting blood in, in the hospital. And they're literally pulling his mask up. He's got, I have pictures. So a dying man can't breathe. He's got an oxygen. And they're like, oh, put his mask up when they come. Put his mask up. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? He had two COVID tests that entire time before they'd even touch him anyways for radiation. I'm sorry for my reaction. I, sometimes people tell me such horrifying things, and only the only thing I can do is laugh. I cannot believe we're living in this world. And I, I don't want to switch so it up. People, the first ones, when we said we were going to open, and we publicly said, hey, the second lockdown, we're opening, and this is after my father had died. And the first person to comment how dare you it's a pandemic is who i'm an rn at the hospital here i'm like oh oh our self-proclaimed frontline yes i know you i know everything about it. i've been in that hospital for three months i see rns walking around talking with their friends at the nurse desk doing nothing with security guards throwing out anybody and everybody they feel like it if you're not kissing your ass. Disgusting. I was put in a position where my father was sitting outside that hospital, sitting outside. I have the oncology nurse going, you need to bring your father in right now. He's going to stroke out right now. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. It was hot. It was July. He's in a wheelchair. He's weak. And I'm like, he's like, he's not going to go in there because of how he got treated that one time he had to go in there where he got no pain meds, no water. And I had to call you know, around the hospital and say, I'm coming to get him. And then, you know, he got, oh, we're giving him his water. We're going to get him a sandwich. It was, a, I don't know. It was a switch of nurses or whatever the shift. Anyways, I digress. So we're sitting outside. This is an emergency. His levels went up, whatever. So they're like, the oncology nurse is saying, you need to bring him in, Lisa. Um, can you hear it? Yeah. Okay. So he, you need to bring him in. He's in a wheelchair. He's like, can you go? And then the nurse goes, let me call down to emerge for you. So I, I'm sitting there at the main entrance of the hospital. Then she's on the phone, puts me on hold, talking to emerge. They will not let me in. They will not. She's begging them. The oncology nurse is begging the emergency nurses to let me uh, go in with my father because saying he will not go and this man will die. And they said, well, that that's his choice. That's his choice. So I looked at my father and I mean, I'm trying not to like break down and cry. People are walking and <laughs> coming and going into the hospital. And I'm just looking at my dad and said, dad, they're, they're not going to let me come in, but you know, you really got to go. And he was like, nope, take me the fuck home. I'm not going, I'm not going in there because he was so, he treated so badly. So I took my father home, even though they told me, get ready. He's going to blow out blood. He's going to bleed everywhere. He's going to stroke out whatnot. <laughs> And I, this is what the nurses, the nurses, and there, it was empty. It was empty. They said that I could not come in with my father, right? So July, but, but Walter Sesnick walked in the uh, Black Lives Matter that June 2020, and this is July 2020. And then he makes that comment now, oh, well, it wasn't really that, like, 
uh, big, you know, there wasn't a big pandemic. It wasn't a stay-at-home order when I walked. Oh, well, that's nice because I wasn't allowed to be with my dying father, though, in July of 2020. So it was big enough for that that people weren't allowed to be with their dying uh, uh, parents. And when I, you know, but so... You, but you could walk. Uh, you could walk. Right. Then. That was okay. And then, Thanks, Walter Stasnick. Thank you, you motherfucker. And then when we turn around and... <laughs> I told you she's she's a she's a pit bull. I love your face when she gets around. rolling. I just love you. Just cover your smile like I'm. I'm not laughing at her. I'm not laughing at her. But go, girl, you go. And, and then, I appreciate honestly, your passion. And then when we turn around to to protest these lockdowns, to stand up for people's rights, to stand up for those people that are mentally ill, to stand up for the homeless people, to stand up for the kids, mm -hmm. to stand up for everybody that needs and someone to, to stand up for them. And then we get shamed but for it. people that are like, oh, walking in there being a hypocrite. And then the frontline nurses of our hospital where I know there was zero patients the entire summer. Zero. Zero. So, for like, that's a joke. That's a joke. And then they want to come in and be like, oh, how dare you? I'm sorry, did you miss a paycheck? Because I saw your fat ass didn't have the coffee desk all fucking summer. Frontline nurse, get your free donut. Like... No, you're not. You're not a fucking hero. You signed up for this job. What, what, you want class? You want class? This pandemic? This is class. This is fucking class. Lisa. Lisa, I love you. Never change. I'm going to start with you then because I want to leave this. I want to respect your time. It's quarter after one. Uh, I got a beach to hit. That's the truth behind the lie. Uh, Lisa, tell me about how you're managing your hate. Uh, I, I hope uh, this is therapeutic well, for you, but like, how are you dealing with, with it when you wake up freaking angry at what's going yeah. down and what you had to do? How are you like, how, like, that's why I asked Dennis, who has this made you? I, I imagine you're a much more angry man than you were oh, 16 yeah. months ago. I think we all I mean, are at I some level. I had a therapist. I had to get a therapist after my dad died because you're watching this. You have an inside look to behind the curtain in our community, in that hospital, and the hypocrisy and the lies. And then they come out like, oh, like that, right? But I witnessed it and, and, and it's not true. It wasn't true. But they made my father suffer. They were gonna deny his care, whether he standing here saying sorry, not letting him in with me. Well, he's gonna die then. Well, that's his choice. That's your choice. That's what their care in Niagara Hospital. Right. We we taxpayers. Had, we had a night where he was so, getting some therapy, and uh, he went, had a little bit of a an anaphylactic reaction, so he started swelling up, and it was one o'clock in the morning, and so we started giving him some Benadryl uh, to try and bring the swelling down, and um, it started working, but then it didn't work enough. So yeah. uh, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the hospital to find out if we can go with him in the ambulance to the hospital because he was so because... traumatized he did not want to go like, can you come with me he's swelling up his tongue is swelling up and this man just because think about that you're dying and you got to add the stress of you're facing your own death you know you're gonna die they told us slide out you're gonna die and they told me he's gonna die no matter what you do right now he's gonna die any day um you're dealing with that let alone they added this political COVID bullshit, right? They added this this element to your uh, your death that he had to deal with, having the stress of like whether he should uh, uh, 
go to the hospital or not. He would choose not to. He would choose not to. He was so afraid. So you're adding a stress on a dead, dying man. You're adding that stress. I mean, it's despicable. And then you hear the mayor say something like, oh, it wasn't a big deal back then in June 2020. Well, it was, bi- it was a big deal when they wouldn't let my me in with my dad dying in June tw- uh, July 2020, in August 2020. It was a big deal. So I do take a serious offense, serious offense, and then slander us, shame us. Shame on you, Walter says, Nick. Shame on you. You're a disgusting person. You're disgusting. Hmm. And how am I dealing with anger? That's how I'm dealing. We left our fucking country. Tax-paying business owners left our fucking country. Fuck them. <sighs> That's how I feel. So with so with that evening when we when I called the hospital, um, you know, I'm like, we're worried. His throat may close. Um, but he needs someone there to advocate for him. Uh, well, unfortunately, no, he, he, you can't have anybody come in. So I asked to speak to someone more senior, go through the same story. Yeah, no, um, no, we can't have anybody come in with him. He's got to come by himself. So I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do here? Uh, am I supposed to wait for his throat to close till he can't breathe so that he's forced to come into the hospital? because I want to get him there before any of this happens. Um, and you're telling me that no one can come with him. Right. He's not going to come into this hospital because he's so traumatized uh, that this is what had to happen. So we had to wait till the morning for his throat to close so that he couldn't breathe anymore to call an ambulance, to have them pick him up so he couldn't say no to the ambulance. And you think... We were personally, I made my front living room into a bedroom. We had a door put on because we lived uh, just down the street from the hospital off First Street Lowe there in Martindale. So we were like two minutes from the hospital. Mm-hmm. We had him on the, because he couldn't do stairs anymore. And it was going to be a very declined, short, quick death, obviously. They gave him 48 hours to live from the time they flagged him, uh, when he, the time he walked into a merge. And he ended up uh, living a little over two months in total. But I, they were trying to say, oh, let them in the hospital. They weren't letting visitors in. I'm like, I will do everything in my power. My dad will not be in here. We were up around the clock doing everything, feeding him, dealing with his pain, giving him his medication, helping him to the washroom, doing everything right up until his last breath in our own home. And, you know, and, and I chose that because of what the system was, because that. You know, I wasn't going to let my dad die alone in some hospital like that when I saw what the care was. I'm like, I don't care what the mental toll was going to take on me because I wasn't going to allow him to have such a degrading, horrible death, you know. And and he did. He died. He died. Um, just me and him alone in, in my arms. He died in my arms. That's the way it should be. And a lot of people are fighting just for that, right? And dudes, I'm, let me first Well, you can say- take them out. You can take him out of the hospital. That's the thing. When we, he was in there on the Friday, he died on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he had an emergency, they had to give him emergency radiation. He was getting paralyzed. The cancer was so fast, just spreading and spreading and spreading. And, um, you know, by the day. And so the, they tried to say, oh, well, he can't leave. The nurse tried to say, oh, well, he, he's, not dis- he's not discharged. He, he, he's got to stay. I said, I'm just charging him. Read my fucking lips. He's leaving. I'm his guardian. We're going. Step off. I don't need a doctor. I know my fucking rights. We're leaving. He's coming home. The end, you know? And I hope you got a, a beef 
a bleep button. <laughs> no, there's no bleep button. And it's fine. Uh, just click explicit language on the podcast thing, and I, I will stay up. I, I hope YouTube leaves this up. We're broadcasting on five different platforms right now live. I don't think you've said anything that's medical misinformation, but that seems to be what they're censoring so much. But before you guys go, I want to say I'm proud of you. I love you both. Um, it's obvious, you know, we need great men to lead, to be husbands and fathers for our youth. You know, the traditional family is really important. I hope you guys value what you have and that you stay together forever and that your kids are okay. I'm proud of you. I really, it's just so powerful to see Lisa and, you know, the man is the man. He's got his roles. He's got his strengths. So does the woman. We're not equal. We're very different. We process things differently. And women are far more emotional than men who's got testosterone off the charts, which is a great thing. Celebrate our differences, you know. But I can just see, you know, as much as I talk about the leadership or the lack thereof of men in our society today, uh, there's a lot of cucked individuals that virtue signal out there to look good and i'm not one of those guys but it, it's just so obvious that great men can't do shit without yeah. their women and vice versa but you know the women are are good at taking a back you know behind the curtain in the background supporting quietly and lovingly while the men go out there and do the damage that they need to do so i i'm really impressed by both of you i'm proud of you i love you both and i just i want to try and leave this on some sort of hopeful message like these give me some light at the end of the tunnel tell us a little bit about your new life in belarus and how you plan on helping people moving forward or just give us some sort well, of hope. <laughs> we are educating people in belarus when they go oh canada so i hope you know if any political person is listening they're getting we are going to make sure everybody's educated and it, it spreads here and we are I'm talking to business owners government people what's happening in canada they can't even understand it they don't even understand it because it's not even a thing here there's no vaccine campaigns everybody's like i just met somebody today a stranger straight sh every shaking hands nobody's wearing masks it's just like normal mm -hmm. normal right? well, well we're, they're not well, under fear what we're doing i mean Honestly, Jim, like it, it kind of, it kind of killed me to leave. You know, I felt like yeah. we were, we were doing our best to try and gain some traction, to try and wake people up, to try and turn things around. But um, it, it got to a point where I started feeling like I was just banging my head against the wall, and, the and I, I had to, I had to think of my family. Yeah. You know, I had to get my family out of there because there's no way that we're going to be able to turn around no. from the slander that's taking place. We were getting emails from long-term clients even saying like, you know, you're, you're, the, it's terrible what you've done and you're, you're uh, reckless and selfishness. Damage, and uh, the damage that was done yeah. by the, the, the leaders of our community, um, it, it got to the point where I knew I go, there's yeah. no way I'm going to be able to turn this around once things, if they things ever real, they attacked our Google reviews, uh, so our Instagram page, we got called point, homophobic, racist. At this point, what we're doing from this end now is we're posting as much as we can about what we're doing here to show people mm. that we are living in a place where there are no restrictions. People are not dying. People are hugging, people are holding hands, they're living life as normal, children are playing together. There is none of this nonsense that is taking place in Canada. 
And we're letting them know, if you want to know how to get to where we are, reach out to us and we will give you every bit of information that we have in how we've done what we've done. It's not easy. There's a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of things you got to jump through to get to where we are. Um, but if anybody's interested in getting out of the country, we'll be more than happy to help with any information that we can. And also, too, uh, I mean, it's a good quality of life. Like, you know, cost of living is low, taxes are extremely low part of Canada, and they actually have way more stuff and technology that we've, I've never even seen. Like, I've never even seen, not even in Toronto. So we, we're, we're hoping, we're hoping, we're hoping. I mean, even though we're here and we had to leave, uh, you know, I don't want people to have to leave the country. Uh, but if, they, we're, if people we're, end up in the same situation yeah. as us, like other business people, like we ended up like, we would not be able to, first of all, it was going on and on, what we're going to get bankrupt, what we would have lost our house next. So like we were forced and then at the smear campaign, we can't continue in, even in that community and have a, a reputation for a business. They ruined that for us. So we, we are hoping that things turn around there. Yeah. Honestly, I, you know, it's the country that I was raised in. I grew up in Canada. I love Canada. I, I love Canada the way that it was. Yeah, the way that it was. And I'm hoping that at some point things will turn around. Um, in our case, we, we had to go. It was, it was the next logical step. Um, All this so, but we are just, we are posting things to try and wake people up to see that, hey, you don't have to stay there and take it the way that you're taking it. You can stand up. Because things are happening in other countries where they're free and they're living life normally and they're not dying. So wake yeah. up and stand up for yourself, Canadians. Stand up for yourself. Get a spine. It's crazy. There's so many men out there that just have no spine. Stand up for yourself, for your family, for your children. Because if you don't, your kids are not going to have a life. And that's it. That's what it comes down to. Amen. Go where you're treated best. We're not trees. We're not rooted. If you're getting treated like shit, like my grandparents came from Poland to Canada. I'm like a first generation Canadian, right? So they left communist Poland. My grandfather fought in the war. Uh, they, my family was put in concentration camps. Our history is is of that of Poland. So they came there for freedom in the fifties. And we, he, we I, came here from freedom to freedom in the. And the, good thing the they're dead, my grandparents, because they would be like. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, it's a pretty it's pretty fitting then the the, wall, uh, the white supremacist uh, labels that you put. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Italian, have, Polish. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> my cousins were murdered in the concentration camp. Uh, my uncle was a prisoner of war for from forty two to forty five before it was liberated. My grandfather was fought in the Polish army, and then when they took over Poland, he ended up. Uh, going into Italy, right? So he was fighting with Italy until the end of the war when they uh, went against the Nazis. And then they still remained here. It wasn't until 50, 53, 52, 53 that they immigrated to, to Canada um, and became gold mine. They were working in, him and his brother worked in the gold mines they in did, Northern they Ontario. Did, they did what they had to do for their family. With no money. And at this point, for freedom. Uh, you know, my mother was also an immigrant, came from Italy. She's still alive, God bless her. And when we told her we were leaving, you know, the tears started flowing. But mm -hmm. I just said to her, I said, Mom, this is something that you did when you were younger. Yeah. You left Italy to come to Canada for a better life for your yeah. family. And now I have to do this for my wow. family. And that's 
that's what it comes down well, to. Well, God yeah. bless you. I remember when my father, I said, hey, Pops, and he, and he, like he had three jobs when he was 20 years old. He was working over the river. He was pitting crews in the stock cars, yeah. vending machines, pumping gas, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he had three jobs when and when he was younger. And I'm like, dude, like, yeah. well, how come you had three jobs? He goes, Jimmy, I got your mother pregnant. I'm like, oh, that's right. a man. That's a yeah, man. Yeah. Not like these cucks today that go and hit everything and then walk away from their families. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is what we're trying to preserve. Yeah. <laughs> Men like that. You know, like my own yeah. father that just went to war trying to be. Yeah, 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 he didn't fight in any wars or anything like that. But and I have no culture. I mean, the name's Irish, but turns out I got a lot of French in me. I got goulets that run through me. Uh, I'd be interested to see my twenty-three and me. But I don't have like my culture is growing up with you guys, and I would use the term I used on the in the in the schoolyard, but you can't say that anymore because that's not funny. Perfect. You know, when you used to yeah. be able to carve each other like. Romano John Canarino was my best friend in grade four, you know, like I grew up with the Pavones and the, you know, all the, yeah. my boys, you know what I mean? And now yeah. the Mistrangelos and whatever see me in the car wash and they're like, Jimmy, love your stuff. I can't go near it, but I love it. Keep it up. You know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. when I was a kid, the, the Italian kids were my culture. Because we have yeah. one black kid in my whole public school, right? And he was in my grade. He was my best friend, Gregory Peart. And yeah. man, me and Jim Zockley, you know, we, we rubbed each other. He had a real tight afro. So we loved it. We're like, oh, that head. And then everyone started doing it, everyone. But, you, you know, this, you like your family and your, your culture, that was my culture. It's the only culture yeah. I had. I was always envious that you guys got gold chains on Easter when we got <laughs> chocolate eggs. You know what I mean? I come home and I go, you know, well. Uh, Romano got uh, gold chains and like all they all came back for like 50 pounds heavier and looked with all this jewelry and shit. Mom, like what's uh, you're not Italian. Don't worry about yeah. it. OK, <laughs> we don't play that game over here. No, <laughs> but and then as I got older, my best friends were Colombian and their culture yeah. like man when you, similar and I was engaged to an Italian girl, too. You know, I know what I know what uh, the Good Friday dinner is like. With twenty five yeah. of you all yelling and screaming around a table, where I'm like, "Can you? Can we get right. some quiet over here? I need to eat my food in peace." You know what I mean? So, I appreciate you know that culture because uh, you know for a lot of us, that's all the culture we had growing up. So, anyways, I'm I'm blathering on. I love you both, man. I got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, Jim. Yeah, I appreciate it. We that. appreciate yeah, it, man. And people can get a hold of you. you. Got an email or what? how do they find you? Just some fake book. Uh, Facebook, or they can email us at evolutionsalon159 at gmail.com. And we might start also doing uh, maybe some YouTube videos of our experience here. We might start putting some more videos up for that, for other people that are interested to Just see. to wake people up and show them, hey, you can live without masks, and you can live without social distancing. Yeah. Well, if it's this happening mean, other places yeah. in the world. Uh, this should mean something to you. Maria Hadlow's online with us. And you, you carried 15 all the way through Facebook. I haven't checked the other platforms, but that's pretty good for my little channel. Maria Hadlow just cried, she said. I just cried. <laughs> so Hopefully they're tears of joy. Touched, yeah. moved, and inspired. She's very sorry. Lokes, thank you to Lokes for setting this up. You know, I'm a 
busy guy for yeah. lack of a better term <laughs> and uh you know i couldn't do it yesterday but uh, you know you should be on my radar already but Lokes has been a good friend as far as isolating ideas and you know Lokes was the first guy that said to me jimmy listen here's the deal Walter Senzik, Chair Bradley, the Chief of Police, 610, and the Standard are controlling the message. If you disagree with the message, they paint you as a white supremacist, and you're done. You're finished. You can't argue. You can't ask for PCR tests, how many cycles it is. You can't ask for science on masking. You can't ask for science on lockdowns. You can't go against the narrative, or you're finished. And there you are in Belarus, escaping Canada. Whoever thought... Whoever thought we'd yeah. escape to Belarus for freedom. <laughs> right. Dude. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I love you. Thank you, Lisa and the kids. Uh, thanks for being good, you little turkeys. And uh, that was, uh, sorry, you saw me on the phone answering. It wasn't on, it wasn't broadcast, but I actually had a couple people come to the door and one was um, my five-year-old date that needs to, needs time at the beach. I God bless I the children, man. But I haven't actually, you know, uh, said when I talk about what my our lockdown was our business. My father is a cancer, missed cancer screening, stage four, gonna die when he by the time he got in there, and then you know, and then that whole thing. This is our whole experience. Our daughter being blocked from therapies. She's autistic, and then the, when she did finally start to get therapy, they're covered. She's autistic. She needs to see face. So we've just dealt with like you could check the box for us, and not that we're victims because we're not. We're not victims. No, you don't come off as that. A victim, right? Um, but I am a fighter, and we are fighters. I haven't seen any evidence of that yet. She's more of a fighter than me. I'm, I'm the peacekeeper. I gotta oh. hold, I gotta hold her back a lot of the time. <laughs> I love you both. Uh, share it around. Get in the comments if you want, and then uh, I'm gonna cut this. I'm not gonna. I had a little bit of a show I was going to do after this, but I don't want to soil you with my political takes. This is a good interview. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, you know how to get a hold of them. Dennis, Lisa, Costantini is a good name in St. Catharines, man. I'm proud of you people, and uh, God bless you and those kids. You too, Jim. Thank you, Jim. All right, Thank you. We'll talk soon. I'll, I'll commit to this. I will get this up on iTunes by the end of the day because I'm usually bad. It takes me a week or so to get it up, but I want this up right away. So for you... Audio listeners on the podcast will get this up uh, by midnight tonight, guaranteed. All right, my brother? I love you. You look great, fucking handsome man. And Lisa, here's my commitment. Okay, so let's just play a game here. If God came down right in front of you and plucked this guy right out from and said, I need this guy, see you later, I want to be, I got dibs. Okay? Just saying. You're in. Dennis, you didn't hear that. Turn that off. Don't worry about that. Okay. I love you both. Get out of here. All right. Peace out. All right. Bye. Wow. That didn't suck at all. Look at this man. Now, this is a this is a man. And I got dibs on Lisa if anything happens to him. <laughs> well, that was a pretty good feel interview. I didn't know that it was going to go that way. Uh, thank you, Lokes, for putting the idea in our heads and putting us together. You know, I, I should know this is a guy that I should be looking up. But, Lokes, you did that, so thank you for that. This is fi- how you find me on the fake book. 
disregard all my messages from my friends. Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. This is the fake book. This is the LinkedIn. This is the TrueTube channel on YouTube. This is the Gab. This is the Patreon. Patreon.com slash free speech. And this is the PayPal. I just set up PayPal me slash Jim Fannin. You can send me five bucks to make sure it works. And now the Jim Fannin show. No, I had a whole bunch of clips. I don't want to soil it up. This man is a fucking hero. Thank God for him and Lisa. Standing up for freedom and liberty, something we don't see enough of in this town or this country. I'm Jim Fannin. Thanks for joining us. Peace, love, hug your neighbor, and for crying out loud, do not defy. No, do not comply. Defy. (laughs) I fucked it up. Fuck. Defy. Do not comply. I'm out.